Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, episode 14. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, and today's show is about financing your real estate investments. This is a very important subject matter because real estate is an investment class that allows you to finance up to 80% of the purchase price using other people's money at historically low rates and control that property over the course of 30 years under a mortgage that is paid off by your tenant. This is incredible. Nowhere else in the world can you do this like you can in the United States. But financing is a confusing subject because regulations are thick, they continually change, mortgage terms and interest rates fluctuate, and it's kind of hard to keep up on everything that's going on and the changes in the industry. But there are people out there who really know their stuff and can help you in understanding and navigating this space in terms of strategizing your mortgage financing to getting the best product to help you finance those purchases. It's critical that you work with the right people so today on the show, we have one of the mortgage brokers and portfolio lenders, actually, that we work with to help our investor clients finance their purchases and not only just get a loan, but strategize on how to best finance all their properties and build their portfolio. So the focus is beyond one property. You really should have a focus that encompasses your goals and where you want to go with your financing, where you want to go with your portfolio. It's not enough to say, well, I'll just pick a property today and I'll think about buying another one next year and we'll deal with the financing situation then. It's better to look at the big picture and just see where you have to go. For example, we have some clients that want to purchase fourplexes and we have some clients that want to purchase single family homes. I advise that they start off by purchasing the fourplex first because the down payment amount on his first four mortgages would be 5% lower than the down payment on it as if he had purchased it later after purchasing the single family homes first. So the net result to him was a down payment that was 5% lower by starting off with a more expensive property. Now, many investors know this, but it's surprising how many investors really don't know what is referred to as mortgage sequencing. This is just an example. But today, I wanted to bring on one of the companies and one of the people that we work with, very smart guy, understands this space of mortgage financing for investors very, very well. He's an 18-year veteran, and his name is Aaron. I'll get him on in about 30 seconds, so just stay tuned. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome Aaron Chapman to the show. He's an 18-year veteran in the financing industry with a focus on real estate investors. He has a team of 11 total staff members who help him finance investment loans. And he's been married for 19 years, has four children. And here's an interesting fact. He's with the local sheriff's department and he's with the rescue unit and he has been there for six years 
and the part that he's in is the technical off-road and helicopter rappel rescue technician. Hopefully, Aaron, I explained that correctly, but in either case, welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you, Marco. Good to be here. And, you know, there's only really one slightly correction one could add to that was uh, the helicopter rappel rescue team. So it's like they were the ones that get flown in, rappel out into really rough terrain to uh, connect with a patient that may be in some pretty bad shape, hook them up to the helicopter long line, and we get yanked out. How'd you get involved in that out of curiosity? Interesting thing. In 2008, I was in a motorcycle accident that uh, put me in the hospital for several weeks in a wheelchair. And I had a lot of rehabilitation to get back to. Prior to that, I would do marathons, climb mountains, uh, you name it. I was very active. It was all for me. So when I had, was blessed to get all my, my systems back and able to walk again, and I was able to start hiking again, I wanted to do something for somebody else other than myself. And that's where I decided I stumbled into a person that was with this rescue team, asked them where, what they did and where they were at. And they mentioned a mountain that I used to spend a lot of time at in the uh, Superstition Mountains of Arizona. And I investigated it and thought, you know, if I can go out there and hike again, I'm going to do it for the purposes of somebody else. That's great. So for a sense of geography, where are you located? I am located in the Phoenix Valley of Arizona. My office is in Mesa. Great. Well, today's subject is, you know, financing your real estate investments. And this is not the same thing as what a lot of people seem to think in terms of financing your owner-occupied home. In fact, I've heard a stat, maybe you can correct me on this, but only 3% of mortgage loans made out there are actually non-owner-occupied. So if that's true, then there's really a big difference between what people typically see and the types of investment loans or mortgage loans that investors go after. Maybe let's begin by describing the landscape of mortgage loans for investors because it's a different animal. You're, you're definitely accurate there. And the, the thought process that you just pre- you presented on the percentage of loans on, on a global scale that are investment versus owner-occupied, you're right. It's very small percentage are for investors. And that in itself would make one take notice of who they're going to work with on that, on the, the loan, because there's so few that are done when you're talking about the global scale. So it's a very specialized thing. And the landscape becomes very different than what a person would be used to. So a person who's bought multiple owner-occupied homes, sell a home, buy another one, their experience doing that is going to be vastly different when they decide to buy an investment property because different things are taken into consideration. In the onset, it looks somewhat similar, but in the background, what we do as the lender is vastly different. So that's one of the reasons myself and my partner, Steve Bighouse, we decided to, independent of each other, we did this years ago, we decided to focus on the investor because it is a very, it's a crowd that doesn't have a lot of people focusing on it. And it seemed like a niche in the market. Yeah. So the investor mindset is considerably different. And maybe uh, you can talk about that. I know we spoke about this before, and it's quite a fascinating um, conversation. But maybe talk to us about the investor mindset and how that differs to any other type of mindset. Well, as we just spoke about, uh, most people's experience will be buying their their own occupied home. And so when you're doing that, we have been programmed by the marketing that has been created out there by the you name the numerous lenders that, that put their advertising out in print or on television or on radio, you name it, internet. And the thing that they differentiate themselves between the different lenders is interest rate and cost. So that's what the majority of the planet is aware of is I need to shop around and find the best lender is going to give me the best rate and the best cost. Makes sense. I understand that. But when you're talking about an investor, somebody's going to buy multiple pieces of property as a re- to get a cash flow that's going to help them expand on their, their assets. 
the mindset definitely does need to change. And that's the foundation of being an investor. Uh, the ability to get the loans complete is probably going to be their most paramount step that they need to be looking towards. Anybody can close general loans. When we talk about the investor being that it's so specialized and there's so much work that has to be done, not anybody can really get it done effectively. The other part when we're referencing the mindset is you're not necessarily just buying property and financing property anymore. You're buying a business or the, let's say the investor's buying a business. They are either starting it or they're expanding it. Starting it meaning they're buying their first investment property and stepping into that world or they're expanding on a portfolio they've already started with one or two. So when you're thinking about that mindset, the argument of I'm shopping for the best rate and the best cost kind of goes out the window. Now, what I mean by out the window, you're not putting yourself in a position to be taken advantage of where somebody's going to give you an extremely high rate, extremely high cost. But you're looking at it, is somebody staying in the general realm of that? Get to that point, understand that the lender is giving you an interest rate that makes sense within what's advertised and move beyond that to really looking at becoming a owner of a, of a company and a company that is sole purpose is to own cash flowing investments, uh, cash flowing real estate. And those investments are driven by real estate. So at that point, it's a matter of acquisition an acquisition of cash flowing properties that are going to keep adding to the bottom line. And where this really starts to make uh, a big difference is when you start reaching these caps. You know, Fannie Mae has a cap of 10 finance properties. So and those are broken down to where you've got four finance properties. A person is allowed to put 20% down on a uh, single family and 25% down on multi-units. And once you break that four finance properties, it goes up by 5%. And it's 25% down on single families and 3% on, on your multi-units. So there's several different things a person has to take into consideration with the business and, and sequence these loans properly where they're able to maximize the amount of money they're using. So then you get into, when I'm talking about this investor mindset, and as a business owner, you're not financing properties anymore. You're bringing on the partner in reality. So I've, I've used this, I've kind of illustrated this bringing on a partner thing by using an analogy. So you have a family that's going to get together for dinner. The host of uh, his brother and his family and his sister and their family, he presents them with the pasta that he made. And everybody's going off about how great his pasta sauce is, that he should start his own Italian restaurant. Well, he, of course, is going to respond back with, I don't have the capital to do that. It just you know, seems like it'd be really difficult. But his brother-in-law states, hey, I'd be more than happy to pitch in 50% of the capital to start your business. I think you'd be very successful. So now he's going to start his business, but he's got a partner who owns 50% of his business. As a partner who gets 50% of the say in what happens to his, to his business and a partner that gets 50% of the revenue. The other part, aspect that's really kind of rough about this is the partner's not involved as far as the business operations. He's just putting up the money, yet he gets to have half of everything. Well, you as a real estate investor buying single family properties you can now get a partner through us that we represent that's going to put up anywhere from 75 to 80 percent of the capital for your business. But we're not demanding, or at least your partner's not demanding 75 to 80 percent of the ownership, not demanding 75 to 80 percent of the cash flow, not demanding 75 to 80 percent in the say of what happens on the day to day. All they're requesting is a return in, let's say, you know, four and a half to five and an eighth percent return on that investment broken down in 12 monthly installments annually. 
that's it. And they're out of the picture in reality. On top of that, your investor partner has consultants that will assist you in this process as well in the form of myself, my partner, and our staff. That this is what we do. We finance investments. We get consult with you on different ways to go about getting this completed. Not only is it about our ability to close loans, you know, because we're good at that. We've been closing loans for years, and there's a lot of people that can close loans. But we also have information in the sense that we work with thousands of customers, thousands of investors buying real estate. Those thousands of investors have spent millions of dollars on various different ways that they've went about building their little empire, whether it be legal fees, whether it be fees with their CPAs, uh, ways that they've designed it with S-Corps. We were privy to all that information. So we have the capability to at least give you some ideas. It's ultimately up to you. You've got to talk to your attorney. You've got to talk to your CPA. You've got to decide how to run your business. But we at least have some information to provide. Now, another thought process here that, that steps from what we just discussed is you are now the CEO or the investor is the CEO of his company. Now, most companies have a CEO, a chief executive officer, a COO, which is a chief operations officer. They have a CFO, a chief financial officer. When you look at that type of setup, an investor doesn't quite have that. But when you change the mindset a little bit in a way that they do. Marco, your group ferrets out investment properties all over the country. And you partner up with different specialists in those areas that will find the best potential properties in the area for your customers. On top of that, they have property management. They have uh, other people within the area that help them maintain these properties. That's a whole operations division that your investors get. So they have a chief operations officer in the entire division working with them. Now, let's talk about the CFO, the chief financial officer in their division. You have myself and my partner, Steve. We have our staff. Everybody here that has been doing this for, you know, we're approaching probably 60 to 70 combined years of experience in just investment financing that we are able to also work with them on the finance side different things that they can do and different ideas that they can incorporate into their business and run that financial division. I argue what expense was put in to have those two divisions within their corporation. Now, let's think about that. If they didn't work with us, they would still go buy a piece of real estate that has commissions being paid to whatever the realtor are, whoever the realtors are. If they went to go finance with their credit union or any bank across the planet, there's still going to be closing costs and an interest rate, correct? So since those are there, they're still pay, those costs are still being paid. Those expenses are still going out there regardless of who they work with. So we have that same expense as far as the, the commission paid on the real estate side, the same fees and interest rate being paid on the financing side. So in reality, they're choosing to work with professionals in those areas and keeping those relationships strong, they really get the, the operations division mm -hmm. and the finance division of their corporation for free. It costs them nothing to have that, those, those people connected with them because they, they have the same expense regardless of who they work with. So the mindset here is to consider your mortgage broker, your lender as a partner and someone on your team. They have resources and knowledge that you can tap into at essentially no extra cost because the cost is the cost you're going to spend it one way or another but you have that expertise available to you as a member of your team and on top of that you have different kinds of loan products out there that you can help an investor fit their current situation and their credit profile and that comes down to 
how many loans they have because there's a four limit cap, a 10 limit cap, and then you get into portfolio loans. So it's not just about the interest rate. Am I summarizing what you're saying correctly? You're, you're accurate in your summary. Yes, there is definitely a lot of programs, a lot of options out there. If you're not working with the, the individuals that have a lot of history, specialize here, you could risk going from point A to point B in a bunch of different routes and not getting there as simply as you, you should, or in some cases, completely unsuccessful. Yeah, we've we've had clients over the years that have brought their own lenders to us. You know, it's I'm not going to name names, but they were some of them were large institutional lenders and some of them were their favorite local, regional or or city banks. And they just didn't have any experience or very little experience in dealing with non-owner occupied properties, in other words, investment properties. And we have found that many times, not always, but many times, those loans would end up falling apart at the 11th hour because they would, they would come to the table with a request such as, how long has the seller of the property seasoned that property? In other words, how long have they held that property from when they acquired it and renovated it? Um, or they might ask questions such as, and I think this is kind of silly, but you know, what did they spend to renovate that property? I mean, why do they really even care? The property is newly refurbished it's like new it's appraised at full retail price uh, you know these situations come up and I, I know that this rarely comes up with working with a company or a firm like yours and we work with several of them but i don't see that happen so maybe explain that situation why does that come up with other lenders that don't have that experience well initially that comes up one because it's an experience situation that you're just referencing the other is it's actually starting to come up more and more regardless of how much experience you have because there is something else referred to as the Uniform Collateral Data Portal, or the UCDP. And what that is, when appraisal comes in, it's been going on, I don't. I think it's two years now, I, my, my mind doesn't bring up the exact amount of time, but when the appraisal comes in, we're required to submit that appraisal to this portal, and it will score it and send it back to us and tell us the reason for the score. And parts of these scores are it is taking all the information on that property for the last however long it's been tracked. And if there is a significant difference in the previous sales price versus the current sales price, it's going to require that we have some sort of information to back up as to why that there is such a big discrepancy in the two. And it's not a matter of the appraiser just making a note. In some cases, we have to actually start gathering more data. So like to your, to your point, we'll have to ask, you know, show us what was done to this in a spreadsheet. Give us the total cost of what this, so we can prove there's a reason why there's this vast difference between the two. Um, so the experience does kick in there in the sense that we know why it is and what we can easily use to get get over that. That where the inexperience hurts in this, even where the person is asking the right questions, they don't know the reason for the question or the reason that they're looking for the answer. And it could also be detrimental in the sense that they don't like the answer to the question and they'll, they'll turn their, themselves away from trying to deny the loan because it still seems risky to them. But once you understand why the question is being asked, you can limit the, at least the risk doesn't seem as daunting in that type of situation. One of the reasons that we work with the firm that we do is this particular firm during the whole mess that was going on with uh, the late 2000s and the, the slide within the economy. They, a lot of banks were forced to buy back a lot of loans that went sideways. 
and a lot of them were upside down. The loan balance was much higher than what the house was valued at that time, and people stopped paying, and banks were forced to have to take that on. This firm had to take on over 3,500 of those properties back. You know, that would cripple a, a medium-sized company. Well, they had decided at that point they need to figure out something to do with these, these uh, properties. And rather than going into the Chapter 11 type steps that many banks may have considered, they decided to form a division that would go out and take a look at all these properties, decide what needed to be done to them to make them habitable. Once they were done with that, they rented all 3,500 out. Now it's 3,500 and change and slowly start selling them as the market came back. They made a very large return off of the sales and they still retain over 500 rentals. So the firm that we work with directly and that we hang our license with understand the investor because they are one. They understand what the investor goes through. They understand also that there is, in a way, doing investment loans is kind of a hedge against risk because it's not as risky as it used to be. Investors today are buying for cash flow. They're setting up a business. They're changing their mindset. They're not using loan. Loans is not a debt to them. It is an asset because of the way they're going about it. They understand that because they're doing the exact same thing. And so they're encouraged by this and they like to have these investor loans. They like to fund these investor loans where the majority of your banking institutions out there, when I talk to them and they try and recruit me and I bring up the fact that 99% of the business I do is for investors, they take a step back in their recruitment offer. And they start saying, you know, that's kind of risky. We're not sure if you like that. And I said, well, tell me what your risk is. But it's like, well, we had to take back all these investment loans in the past because people were speculating. I said, well, do you know what the mindset of the investor is now? Do you know what they're doing with the investments today? And I said, well, we're just, just too risky for us. We lost way too much. So the scar has yet to heal for them. But for the firm I work with now, the scar's healed. And they saw that there's actually a really good scar to have. Yeah, and that's a that's a really great point. A lot of investors today, especially our clients, are focused on buy and hold investment property for the long term because they're more focused on the cash flow and the cash on cash return that they get from the property, not as much on the appreciation potential. Even though they're in good markets with solid growth, it's not hyper growth. And so they're going to get that too. But they're going to keep this 30-year loan. And here's another comment about 30-year fixed rate mortgages, which I think are incredible. And you mentioned the loan being an asset. It is, it's an asset to somebody and a liability to another person. But one of the great benefits of having a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, which I'm a big fan of, is the fact that that loan over the years doesn't adjust for inflation. It depreciates. It becomes worth less and less as time goes on because as every month and year goes by, you're paying it off in cheaper and cheaper dollars. So effectively, you're paying off a diminishing loan it might be worth 100000 this year, but if there's 4 or 5% headline of inflation, that loan at the end of the year is only worth about $95,000, and it keeps going down year after year. And I know a lot of people don't talk about that. I'm sure you understand that, but we talk to clients about that all the time, and I think that's a great benefit of fixed-rate mortgage loans. It's a huge benefit, and I, and I don't think people realize exactly how powerful that is. And what you're bringing up here should really be something focused on as a podcast all in itself. In the sense that they can pay off their, they can pay their mortgage on, that they got in 2015 with say 2,022 dollars that are worth a heck of a lot less in 2022 than they are in 2015. You know, if you go back into history and start looking at how things have been stacked up, there's a really big uh, change in how things were. I know that uh, Robert Robert Rice, he was. Uh, a labor secretary for Bill Clinton, he talks about what has happened in the economy. When he talks about uh, 
the peak median income for the average worker was peaking out like 1978. That's right. You know, that right to me is an amazing thing because what has happened to the cost of living since 1978? Well, sure. The cost of living has gone up, but the uh, uh, inflation adjusted median income has stayed relatively flat. And most people don't realize that. So they're actually getting poorer and poorer. Exactly. Every single day we're getting, people are getting poorer and poorer. And that's kind of another thing I always like to point out to the, uh, to the investor. A lot of times the investor, they'll get that inspection or they'll get that appraisal and they'll look at the property they're in contract on and say, you know, I'm not sure about that because I'd never, I don't know that I would live in that property. Well, that, that's not, that's not necessarily uh, something they should be, be really stressing over. Somebody's going to live in that property, especially we consider what's happening with people in our nation are getting poorer and poorer every day because of what's happening with inflation and what's happening with wages. We're opening yourself up as an investor to a larger percentage of the population by buying lower to median income housing rather than buying it in something that maybe the investor would prefer to live into. That's a smaller percentage of the population. Right. And you know what? We're going off on tangents here, which is fine. But here's another point to your point. If you buy good property that cash flows in good neighborhoods, you know, B and A class neighborhoods, but you're right around the median sales price of that market, you don't have to worry about that property from your perspective as to whether you would live in it or not. Because the fact is, is as economies change, people will move up and down on the socioeconomic scale. So people who once couldn't afford that property in good times might now be able to move up into that property. But the reverse is true as well. In times where you have a slower economic cycle and people that are living in more expensive homes or renting more expensive homes now can no longer afford that price point, they move down into your property. So if you're not buying on the high end or the low end, you'll always have a rental pool of people that will be able to rent your property. And if you've got that fixed financing in place, that never changes. What may change is the rental amount, but you'll always have tenants to pay off the mortgage for you, and that makes a prudent investment. Correct. And I think the main point of all of that conversation or tangent was, was the sense that the way that our economic system is set up, there is no way you're going to run out of a market. Yeah. Let's talk about mortgage products because your industry has a lot of regulation and it changes all the time and the qualification and the products change frequently. So this is really two questions. What kind of investment loan products are out there for investors today? And and this is kind of a broad question because you can have someone who's just starting off, they're buying their first property, it's their very first loan, and they qualify for 20% down. Then you may have someone who's already got 40 or 50 units, and they might need some other type of mortgage product. So maybe just kind of take us through what the mortgage product landscape looks like and the qualification for those products. Well, probably the best way to go about that is to kind of reference some of the people that I have worked with in the past and kind of and, and paint the picture of how they were able to accomplish what they have. So we have investors that got you know, they'll, they're still working on their first 10 finance properties, others that have uh, properties in the 40s, that they have 40 plus properties they've financed. And to start off with, there's getting in and using just the vanilla Fannie Mae type products. You know, like I indicated earlier, it's 20% to 25% down on the first four, depending upon whether it's single family or a multi-unit. Then you got you know, five to 10 finance properties, you're putting the 25% down on a single family and 30% down on the multi-unit properties. Those are going to be your best loans. It's going to be your best interest rates, your cheapest down, your lowest cost. That's going to give you that opportunity to get in in a more reasonable uh, type of rate and return when you're talking about those smaller amounts of a portfolio, anywhere from the one to 10. Then we start getting beyond that. That's where the main questions come. The investors that are coming out of the woodwork now are really want to know, what do I do to get beyond 10? 
how do I have more properties that I don't have to pay cash? Well, we have worked with people that have successfully utilized commercial financing to take, let's say, the 10 finance properties they had, and they lump them together into one loan and put it into an S-corp. And then they now don't, in a way, don't own those properties anymore because their S-corp does. And the commercial financing blanketed them all into one loan and have financed them in the name of the S-corp. Now they're free to purchase 10 more individual properties using Fannie Mae money. Now, there's been some question in the past where people said, well, can I just put that in my LLC? I've been instructed I should put it in the name of my LLC. Well, that doesn't quite work so well. An LLC is a phenomenally great, good instrument when it comes to using that for protection from uh, other, other things that could come about of when it comes to owning real estate or other investments. But it's not separate of you. It's like wearing gloves. You are still the person wearing the gloves, even though you have the gloves on. An S-Corp, however, the way it's structured, and you, you definitely need to talk to your CPA, talk to your attorney to, to validate how to set this up, is a separate entity and a whole separate individual, if you will. If you will. So doing that gives you that capability to purchase again. And now the reason we want to use, at least we have seen them use, the, the reset and start over again with their Fannie Mae 10 points properties is it gives them the capability to be picky about what property they purchase. They're able to buy them one at a time and find the different markets that makes the most sense for their plan. If you want to try and use commercial financing to, to buy the future properties one or two at a time, it doesn't quite work so well because sometimes commercial finance can be very expensive. It can be, you know, the, the rate aside, there may be some costs that put it to where it's not as cost effective to put them together into bulks of 10 and move them and then buy one at a time using Fannie. So that's how I've seen some people be very successful and continue to expand upon their ownership and build that little empire, if you will. Makes a lot of sense. So I guess to summarize part of what you're saying, beyond 10 loans, if they're going to have 10 mortgages on their credit, uh, going beyond that, you're, you're typically working with a portfolio lender or some sort of private lender in order to get the financing. Because once you're outside of the government subsidized loans of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you really don't have a choice but to work directly with private and portfolio lenders. True? Correct. You're going to have to find a bank that has an appetite for the commercial side of things, as well as be able to understand what you're planning on doing. And some may not, may not have an appetite for investment properties in the, uh, in the residential realm. There are some people that we have worked with in the past because we, just because of the nature of working with so many clients that we are very familiar with the banks that like to do that kind of thing. We've had a lot of uh, conversations with them. So we understand what they're looking for and understand who can accomplish this. So that's part of what we bring into a conversation with our customers, depending upon what it is that they want to do with their investments for the future. What we like to say is, you tell us what the last page of your investment book looks like. And let us help you write the rest of it all the way backwards to the table of contents. Right. Good analogy. What about stated income loans? What, what's your comments on that? I, I see that they're starting to come out of the woodwork again, and I don't know if that's a, a good sign or a bad sign, because the last time we see, saw stated income loans grow in popularity, we knew that the, it was the beginning of the end. So what are your comments on those? You know, I, I do tend to agree with you on that. They are coming out a bit. We actually do have access to some. They're not very pretty. They're not, uh, they're not the ones that get you those really aggressive rates and costs, but they do exist. And I am not 100% sold that it's the best path to take. If a person is in a position where they have to use that, I think that they do need to use caution in understanding where are they at in their finances. 
that a stated is required? And are they really in a position where they have the ability to repay? And ability to repay is something that we're, we're heavily charged with proving. Uh, the federal government requires that we look very closely at one's ability to repay and not saddle them with a situation where they could potentially experience loss. So having that product out there, to me, it actually does, it is a little bit frightening though, that they're making a comeback because I just don't believe that they should have any place in it. Sure. We get clients coming from Canada, Australia, UK, occasionally in uh, the Asian countries. What about foreign national financing? I know that usually requires a higher down payment with higher interest rates, but it is an option versus paying, you know, 100% of the purchase price all cash. What kind of products are out there today for foreign nationals? I'm not 100% certain of what all of them are that are out there, but I know we do have access to one. We do have one that we keep in-house. We put it on our book, on the books of the firm that I work with, that my license is held with, and they have created it for the foreign national. And so, yes, we do have access to that. It's typically about a 35% down type of loan, and then the rates, they're all dependent. So it's something that we always get into individually, discuss the rate and cost associated with that particular loan or any loan. Right. All right. Last question regarding mindset and sequencing. I've talked to many clients and I suggest to them, of course, they, I recommend they talk to someone like yourself. If they're looking to purchase 20, 30 properties over the next few years, I always recommend or suggest that they try to put each loan on their credit individually of their spouse so they could at least theoretically double the number of properties they purchase. Is that a wise practice? I would assume so, but I'd like to get your feedback. Well, that's how many of the customers we work with have accomplished it the larger portfolios of financing and larger portfolios of finance properties in such a short period of time. Because both both they and their spouse could qualify independently. They purchased them independently. They pretty much built a wall between the two of them so that that way they could have two independent portfolios. And it uh, works very successfully. Um, I know that there's also a little bit of a mindset that has to come in there, that they are... In some instances, because they are there when a person joins in marriage and they do have that kind of partnership there, that it seems kind of counterintuitive to separate their, themselves in that respect. But when you consider the long term end goal, you know what the end game is supposed to be, the mindset is, easy, is easier to change into and understanding that it's of huge benefit to separate and be able to purchase like that because there is, it's a, it, you know, it's a double multiplier, is what it is. Financing is the one thing about purchasing investment property that I think is liked the least by most investors. It's not the thing they look forward to. It's not the thing they like being involved in, but it's a critical piece because you can leverage up to 80% of the purchase, control 100% of the property with only 20% down. You know, financing in the United States is fantastic, especially when you can get 30-year fixed rate mortgages, which from my understanding is pretty rare. You can't find it anywhere else around the world. So we're pretty unique in that sense. Agreed. And and I agree with everything that you said in the sense that this can be the most miserable part of the experience. But what I have to, especially the first time around, the first time a person decides they want to start getting investment financing, it's a lot more daunting than they anticipate. So I paint that picture up front. This is not going to be fun. It can be very miserable. And I definitely have hopes that it's not so darn miserable when we're getting it, when we're getting the loan completed for them, but they need to at least have an expectation that's realistic. Um, as far as the, the, the whole sequence of all of this, it's a matter of finding somebody that you want to work with that you trust that's going to help you get there regardless of how tough it is. And we're going to have to gather a ton of paperwork from you. We have to uncover a lot of these things. And 
The reason we have to, it's not because we enjoy it. Believe me, what you hate to give, we hate to read. But to understand where the money comes from is what really kind of helps one gather, at least understand why it's such a difficult process and why it can be such a miserable process. This is Wall Street investment fund. This is not banks' money. This is not government money. It's not my money. It's not Fannie Mae's money. This is this is investors from all over the world putting their putting their personal money into something and expecting a return. So much like a prospectus that a person would receive, I have you know, various different investments that are in the market, and I will look at that prospectus and they'll tell me how safe my money is, like where my money is invested, what company that might be invested with. Being that I can pull up that company's history. And pull up uh, data on them and how strong they are as far as the returns and anything that I could expect to get back from that, I know how safe my money is. Well, in the same respect, an investor who puts their money up into a Fannie Mae mortgage-backed securities pool should be able to reasonably expect a return on investment based upon how we have been directed to lend it. They have to have certain credit scores, certain amount of money down. We have to prove their income in a certain way. We have to prove their assets in a certain way. If there's any variance, we have to explain why those variants are. And we have to be very detailed in that. And because of that, we now have an investor that's confident he's going to get a return on investment of his funds and not end up having to take a property back. Because that's not what they want. They just want to get paid their nominal rate of interest and leave it alone. We have to prove to them that they're going to get that nominal rate of interest back because of their guidelines, if you will, and that's what we have to look at as their guidelines, that's their perspective. Their perspective is the guidelines we have to follow. Right. Great information, Aaron. Is there uh, any question I didn't ask you that I probably should have, or any closing comments? Uh, really, it's just a matter of, you know, I don't, I don't have any really, really questions that we couldn't have covered. I think there's so many questions out there. The person who keep going, this podcast could end up going for days on end. Um, well, it comes to each investor. I know that everybody's got their own points that are the most important to them. Uh, when it comes time to make that choice, take an extra moment and really get to know who that individual is. Because again, it's not a consumer and a banker anymore. This is a partnership. This is a team of people working for the same end. Well said. Well, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you. We've got listeners in 63 countries now. So uh, how can people find out more about you and, and your company? Well, the best place to go would be to our website. It is www.bighousechapman.com, which is, again, www.bighousechapman.com. When you go to that website, the first thing that pops, the first thing that pops up is a quick little video we did introducing the investor to getting started with investing. And we're going to do a series of that. You can also go in and look for our specific uh, contact information. Now, of course, I always have to throw out there, there's myself and Steve, my NMLS number 267844. We're with the Security National Mortgage Company, and the best way to get us is to go right there. Bighousechapman.com. I'll put that in the show notes to make it easy for people to find your page. Aaron, appreciate your time. This has been uh, very informative. I know we can go on for hours, but uh, I think uh, I, we've probably reached our time limit here. So, I can imagine. Yeah. So I appreciate having you on the show, and we'll look forward to having you on again. Thank you for inviting me on, Marco. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. The sound quality wasn't that great because we had a bad connection, but we tried to clean it up as much as we could. So hopefully it was useful and helpful for you. If you have any questions, be sure to contact our office. We can put you in touch with the right people depending on the state that you're uh, investing in and the situation that you have. 
Also, remember to download our free report if you haven't done so, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. And if you haven't subscribed to our show yet, please do so. It's easy to do in iTunes and Stitcher Radio. We thoroughly appreciate the ratings and reviews we've been getting, even with our international listeners. I was actually surprised a few days ago I had a retired gentleman call me out of the blue who does not work but has a fairly significant amount of savings, and he called me to thank me for the podcast. He found us uh, via one of the episodes when he was looking for some information on a particular subject, and he wanted to reach out and say thanks for the great content, keep it coming. I appreciate all the good feedback. It's very motivating. But as always, thanks for listening. We appreciate you all being here. We will see you on the next episode. Continued success to you. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.